Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City, and I'm not alone. Uh, there's big news going on in the poker world, and to help me dissect it and to really get involved in trying to figure out what the heck is going on in poker nowadays is the owner, the CEO, the chief poker officer of Tournament Poker Edge. You know him, you love him. Our very own Killing Bird, Derek Tenbush. How are you, Derek? I'm great, Clayton. How you doing? Yeah, good to hear your voice, man. Everything, every everybody, good down there in North Carolina? Yeah, everything is good. Um, you know, we're kind of uh, we're getting ready for some bad weather to roll in uh, with this hurricane or whatever the hell's going on out in the ocean. <laughs> um, so you know, if fires and riots and pandemics aren't enough let's just keep the fucking weather coming <laughs> it's so funny dude it's like the world is ending all around us and we're like how you doing i'm good i'm good yeah everything's good yeah <laughs> it's like no nothing is good actually i was thinking the other day about how you know this year is going by so fast and new year's eve is coming up and i while i suspect it'll probably be spent in my house with my immediate family it's <laughs> going to be like the biggest blowout new year's eve i've ever had because because i am definitely kissing this year goodbye <laughs> Yeah, let's party like it's 1999. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, other than that, everything is good. Life's, life's treating us all right. So I'm really glad to hear it, and I wish you continued health and happiness at home. I got to tell you, though, I, last week I was so bummed because, like, literally as soon as I finished recording last week's podcast where I talked about Mike Sexton and how much he meant to me and to the entire poker community and – you know, I, I went through a hand or two that I had played on ACR or whatever, and then all hell broke loose on Twitter like five minutes after I finished. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's get into this because yeah. uh, you you inadvertently or indirectly, I should say, uh, came up in this <laughs> among others in, in a sense. I want to hear. I want to get your thoughts on it. You know, Jonathan Little is a friend of the podcast. Let's put that out there right away. You know, he's been a guest on our podcast. Someone that has had a very long and successful career in both live and online poker for a great many years. He's a coach. He's a teacher. He's a very respected, I think he's a pretty respected uh, pillar of the community. And he was banned by Phil, the uh, CEO of America's Card Room. Is that right? Is that um, Do I have the story straight? Is that what happened? Yeah, that is that is correct. And, and before I jump into it, let me just say that on the episode that Mark and I did a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, when you had your well-deserved week off, um, <laughs> yeah. him and I talked about how uh, the, the poker Twitter drama has been one of the things that has helped us get through this uh, <laughs> six or seven months of lockdown here. So I love when this stuff comes up because it's like, it's like yes, I got, I got some activity that I can like delve into today. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, obviously there's stuff that I don't like, you know, to come up like cheating scandals and stuff, but this kind of stuff is just juicy. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no shortage of drama these days yeah, for, sure. for sure. I think it probably has something to do with everybody being all cooped up. I don't know, but, um, essentially like the history, I mean, it's, 
it's relatively basic. I mean, Jonathan Little, as you said, you know, pretty well known, respected poker player, um, has a lot of you know social media and his his own website and books, and so you know he's pretty well known. Um, he had been for quite some time. You know, some would describe it as talking bad about ACR. Some would he would he would say he was warning his his customers and his fans about ACR. Uh, so you know, obviously depends on how you look at it. But he was making comments about you know don't keep money on there because eventually it's going to go under and they're not going to pay out. And um, he had made some things that he said were jokes about the RNG being better for the ACR pros. Uh, and, th- and things like that, um, which I kind of personally think were jokes as well. I, I should d- make the disclaimer that I had never watched Jonathan Little's stream, which is kind of surprising because I've watched many, many streams. But as I've talked about a bunch of times, I don't really enjoy the educational streams too much. I'm much more into the sort of social streams where people are just the entertainment. Out. Yeah, yeah. So that's mostly what I watch. So it's not completely surprising that I had not seen his stream. So I had never really heard. You know, I heard people like kind of mumbling about it, like in our in our chat groups and stuff. Like, oh yeah, you know, Jonathan was talking bad about ACR again and stuff. So I know it had been going on for quite some time, but I was never really familiar with the specifics of what he was saying. Um, yeah. And I, you know, at some point, um, you know, a few days ago. Phil Nagy, who's the CEO of the Winning Poker Network and ACR, um, he just said, I've had enough. The guy talks bad about us all the time on his stream, but he, I should mention, he plays on the site. You know, Jonathan would be playing like 12 tables on ACR while saying these things. So it was a little bit of a misleading sort of, th- you know, it's like, don't play on the site, but oh, I play on it, but don't put too much money on kind of a situation. Um, yeah. And Why don't we go through these, Derek? Why don't we yeah, go through these sure. one at a time? Because... You know, he he made a lot of claims. He he made a lot of statements. He made a lot of what he now calls jokes. You sound like you believe they were jokes. I was a little, I, I was a little on the fence about whether he was actually joking or half joking or partly joking. Somebody said once that there are, uh, there's a little bit of truth in every joke. And yeah, that was I, I think that's <laughs> I think that's the perfect way to describe it. He may be joking, but when you make the same joke that many times, at some point you got to start to wonder if there's like that he actually believes some of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So before we get into it, let me just say, you know, Jonathan's been a guest on this podcast uh, before. He's someone that I'm, you know, in touch with. I, I don't I don't consider him like a, a personal friend or whatever, but, you know, he's someone that I've known through poker for many years. I, I have a lot of respect for Jonathan Little. Uh, his record speaks for itself. He's made a ton of money playing this game and also made a great amount of money teaching this game. Uh, I did ask him if he would like to join me on the podcast, join us this week on the podcast so that we could have a roundtable discussion about what went down. And uh, he was willing and, and happy to do it, but unfortunately, just the timing of when he was available and when we were available didn't quite match up. I'm hoping to get him on uh, in the coming weeks so that we can kind of get his take. Um, so with all that said, let's kind of go into what exactly was the problem. So you you said it. he's been streaming, so and while he's playing on the site. He would make certain comments about the site, and uh, now his, his point of view is that he is advising his students, and that he, his advice to them was don't keep a lot of money on the site. Well, let me just ask you point blank: Do you think that's good advice? I actually do. I because um, people ask me similar type questions all the time about you know ACR and is it safe and things like that. 
Um, and I give people the same advice for every site because now it's so easy with Bitcoin to get money on and off and it's pretty quick. So I just tell people, keep what you need on there to play for a few days. And if you need to put more on, transfer Bitcoin, you'll have your money within minutes and you're good to play more. Um, so I actually don't think that's at all bad advice. And if anyone out there is newer, I don't mean to interrupt you, Derek, mm -hmm. but if there's anyone out there that's newer to poker and doesn't know what you're referring to, just you know, go to Google or whatever your favorite search engine happens to be and type in Ultimate Bet, <laughs> Lock <Yeah>. Poker. <laughs> like, there's so many sites that have come and gone. I remember there was one, uh, uh, what was it called? Mansion Poker went out of business oh, uh, you know, over the years. There have been so many, and, and it's just... It is good practice if a site is not regulated, as ACR is not, to take the money off. So it's hard to believe that he would be banned just for that, right? Right, yeah. And and another point to that, too, is one of the things that I – one of the main reasons I actually recommend that is not so much site security. It's that – I mean, how many times have we heard about people's accounts getting hacked and then right. and, and having the all their bankroll blasted off at the cash tables by some hacker, you know? So, yeah, I, you know, I just think it makes sense. You know, back when I used to play on full tilt, like it, it was really hard to deposit because your bank wouldn't allow it and the credit cards wouldn't work. And then you'd cash out and you'd get a check from Canada like two weeks later. To, <laughs> you know, so it was a little bit harder to, to practice that type of bankroll management then. But now it's just so easy to do that there's just really no reason not to. Yeah. Um, now that was you were talking about full tilt post UIGEA because in the early days of full tilt. You could pretty much take any credit card and and get your money on the site and off the site no problem. But once the uh, the wire act or whatever it was, yeah, when the, it was like a after 9/11 there was a port security bill where these Republican senators had basically <laughs> <laughs> made it impossible to get to get your money on and off of websites. So the websites had to start kind of circumnavigating the law so that they could continue to do business. Uh, in America, yeah. basically. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's what they were trying to do, and we all kind of knew it, but it was like you sort of looked the other way because we had a good thing going. We were able to play online poker in our pajamas for <laughs> literally millions of dollars. Yeah. So My wife would always be like, why did you buy golf balls from this uh, <laughs> golf.com or whatever? And I'm like, oh, that's poker. <laughs> She's yeah, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, what are you yeah. doing? <laughs> Yeah, oh, um, nothing. I'm just defrauding the federal government. No big deal. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of something that we all knew that the players would probably never get in trouble. And when these things go down, the players are hardly ever held accountable. It's really the sites themselves that that assume all the risk as far as you know legal repercussions or whatever. Yeah, full tilt players. Uh, they eventually got paid, but they had to wait quite a while to get their money back when the the people that were running that site were doing a pretty uh <laughs> let's say <laughs> unscrupulous job of running it yeah but you know they, they never got their money back for uh, ultimate bet absolute poker and many others that eventually went under yep. so on its surface the advice that jonathan gave uh as far as not keeping too much money on the site i think is good and actually when i had him on recently as a guest here on our podcast um, he he gave that same advice even then. You know, I asked him about ACR, and he said, "Look, you know, I live in New York. I can't play on the legal sites, so I do play on ACR. But I do exactly what I tell my students, which is don't keep money on there that it would you know be very bad for you to lose. Don't keep your whole net worth. Like back in the day, some of us used to keep 
a great percentage of our net worth on po- poker stars or full tilt poker. Yeah, we thought it was a bank. <laughs> yeah, you treated it like a bank because it was just easier that way, and that way you could buy into whatever you want, and it was easier to keep track of your wins and losses. Mm-hmm. Your whole bankroll was online. So, yeah. but of course that was uh, a simpler time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So you you don't really have a problem with him saying. My advice is don't keep more money than you can afford to lose on the site. No, I, I think that in and of itself is solid advice. I think some of the context in the way that he said it was a little more derogatory. It, it, you know, I, I went back and, and kind of watched some of the clips and people were posting quotes and stuff, and, and some of it almost felt kind of like um, it's not a matter of if you'll lose your money, it's when. You know, like... Like these sites always go down. It's going to happen eventually. You know, don't keep a lot of money on there. So I think it was more the way it was presented as opposed to the actual strategy that he was suggesting. You know. Yeah, that's a great point. Is there any truth in what he said? Are there any unregulated sites that have never gone out of business? Is ACR the last one? That's a good question. I mean, I guess there's a you know there's like Ignition slash Bovada, which has been around for a long time. Uh, still running. Um, Carbon Poker is still going. Bet Online. I mean, there's a bunch of those little ones that are still running. But, you know, in fairness, there's for everyone that's gone, <laughs> there's probably one that's... Or for everyone that's still here, there's probably one that's gone, right? In fairness, you know, and, and again, coming from Phil, the CEO of WPN's uh, perspective, you know, I don't think it's a plan to run off with people's money, right? Like it's not, no. you know, so to have somebody constantly saying, well, these guys are going to go out of business eventually. And when they do that, your money's gone. I can see that getting a little frustrating. Yeah. Now I personally recently did a fairly large cash out. It wasn't six figures, but it was five. And uh, ACR sent me my money very quickly uh, and no problem. And I know that you have done quite a few over the years and, there hasn't really been an issue. Has Jonathan been on record saying that it is a problem getting your money on and off the site? No, he he's been pretty clear that he's always gotten his money. Um, but again, like kind of on a similar related note, it it goes back to the sort of the tone of things. So, like for example, when he got banned, you know, a lot of people were like, "Oh, they they took your money," and he was like, "No, they said they'll give me my money." I'll let you know if it happens or something like that. Or, you know, I'll let you know if I actually get it or something like that. And it just kind of goes back to, like, the tone of things, you know. Like, it, I, there was never any doubt that he was going to get his money. Like, But the way he 100%. says it kind of infuses a little bit of doubt. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And, and really, like, to me, that was kind of, from what I read, you know, I, I of course, went and started following the tweet, the, the sort of tweet chain, and I actually threw in one comment <laughs> Um, but it was. I saw that it was a great comment, by the way. So let me set you up. <laughs> sure. Because uh, he says something like, "If you look at the ACR shills, which I want to ask you two separately about his use of that particular word. I think that's a a bit of a, a loaded word to use. The ACR shills, you know, do any of them even have any success long term? Yeah. So and then you said, Yeah, I retweeted it and and said at least at me <laughs> <laughs> which made me laugh <laughs> yeah and i and i don't think he was talking 
about I don't think he even knows who I am. He's probably never watched my stream. If if he knows <laughs> me, it's probably more from TV than it is from uh, Twitch. But um, yeah, it was just my attempt to like infuse a little of my own humor. Although people could probably say that was a loaded tweet as well. Um, no, and, no, and, and no. I, it I, was I, hilarious. Yeah, that I, was I, funny. I definitely didn't want to get into the back and to, forth. Yeah, into the back and forth because because I. So a, I'm tired. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I, I, I've sort of tried to get away from getting in too many Twitter wars anymore because I had plenty of those in my younger days. Um, but also, I didn't, I didn't really disagree with either side. You know, I was my stance was basically, he can say whatever he wants about ACR. He's as he has every right, and Phil runs the company, a private company, and he can. You know, refuse service to any customer he wants to, just like a restaurant or a you know bar or anything else. They can just you know a casino. Somebody made the analogy to casinos because it's perfect, right? Like a casino can can kick you out for anything. They can like, I don't like your shirt. You need to leave. You know. Um, so that that was my main reason for not getting. You know, I, I I didn't feel any need to defend ACR. I didn't feel any need to attack Jonathan. I was just like, eh, let them have their fun. I'll just sit back and. Watch the world burn. <laughs> yeah, but it was fun for you to have that one great little retweet there, which was, uh, I mean, made me laugh out loud. So that was good. At yeah. least, at least at me, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Derek. Um, do you consider yourself an ACR shill? <laughs> and if someone called you an ACR shill, would you or would you not be offended by that characterization of your? relationship with the company if you look up the definition of shill it's probably accurate like i probably technically am a shill but i think everybody also knows that that word is never really used in a positive light you know? <laughs> right <laughs> like nobody is like oh michael jordan's a shill for for Haynes, right? Nike yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you know, they're they're endorsed by or they're sponsored or they represent them or, you know, he used the word many, many times because he knew it was bothering people. Like he knew it was upsetting some of the people he was referring to. Um so like, yeah, again, it goes it just goes back to tone. Like it, and I don't know I don't know if it was an intentional thing where he was like, "Oh, I, you know, I'm just going to take these little subtle jabs at people, but look like the nice guy because I always say, you know, I'll always be like, oh, I'm just protecting my students, you shill, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Yeah, well, it, it could be that, but it could also be the jokes uh, that he was making, whether they were jokes or not. He would say things like, it's amazing how often the shills suck out on me or how bad I run against the shills yeah. which pretty clearly implies that you feel that the uh the players that are sponsored or the shills if you will are somehow predisposed to having better luck than you and then for me he would say something like well most people don't understand my sense of humor but of course i was only joking yeah when i yeah. said that it's the easy so, out, right? It's like the classic out. You can just say anything you want. and then Just, just kidding. Say, oh, I was joking. <laughs> LOL, just kidding. But, you know, as a comedian, uh, it always bothers me when people use the uh, comedy uh, defense. <laughs> yeah. you know, I remember in the early days, uh, well, not too early, but you know, about halfway through the lifespan of The Daily Show on Comedy Central, when Jon Stewart took over as host, and he would just 
you know, have these hardcore political rants and then when anyone would call him out on fact checking he'd be like oh come on i'm a comedian right (laughs) you know what i mean but it's like he wasn't trying to be funny at all when he was doing those rants but as soon as somebody's like but wait a minute this isn't exactly true then he'd be like oh are you going to take your news from a comedian yeah yeah i don't like as a comedian I, i kind of feel like we should be more protected like uh whether we want to just play that i was kidding card or not now i'm not saying that jonathan wasn't kidding and again, I feel a need to reiterate, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. But I'm not sure that he was joking. And if he was joking, he might have been half joking. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a good way to describe it. And it's it's a it's kind of a it's a dangerous thing, right? Like uh you know, take ACR out of the equation. You're still accusing me and dozens of other people of having or or accepting or taking an unfair advantage against our opponents. Now, if you look at my shark scope, you'll know that I don't run any better than anybody else <laughs> on America's card room. Um, somebody complimented me the other day on finally being in the green, so I'm up like Oh, congrats on that. Yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> it's a big accomplishment. Well, you know, the RNG is running great for me. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a dangerous thing to accuse people of because, you know, he has a big, he, you know, as he... <laughs> Another thing we can talk about, as he loves to say, he has a very big following. He has a huge mailing list. Yes, yes, he um, does. So you know, he's talking to a lot of people by his own admission, and not all of them know he's joking or know us or you know know that they should trust us. So you know, they're going to see, oh, this guy's associated with ACR. He's probably cheating or he's getting an unfair advantage. Yeah, for sure. I mean, okay, so now let's talk about this from Phil's angle. You know, he likes to see what kind of marketing and PR are going on with his company and you know Phil is uh, somewhat responsible for the ACR Stormers right which you are yeah. part of and which Jason Smith snossed and lost that we've had on the podcast I don't even know how many times uh, is uh, the manager of mm-hmm. so this is kind of like the uh, Twitch community of players who primarily or maybe even exclusively play on Phil's platform. Is that close to true? Am yep. I am yep. I way off? No, yeah, okay. you nailed it. And I mean, the one uh, sort of caveat is that, um, or the nuance, if you will, is, you know, Phil and the WPN team took a pretty unique approach. You know, if you look at Party Poker and Poke, Poker Stars and 888, you know, they signed pretty big names in the poker Twitch community. You know, all, all of their pros have, you know, a thousand viewers or two thousand viewers or three thousand viewers and phil kind of took a little bit of a different approach he and i think it's really smart he essentially signed you know quote unquote signed we aren't any under any contract or anything it's really just you know a verbal agreement if you will um he essentially signed a bunch of recreational players dozens and dozens of them and i think he took the the, the philosophy that look i want to appeal to recreational players to come play on this site. So, you know, it was a, and instead of having three, you know, Twitch team members, I'm going to have 60. And and I think it's a pretty unique approach and I think it's really smart because the people who come to our streams don't they're not intimidated by us. Uh, they don't see us as unreachable. You know, they they look at us and they go, "Well, I I could get there. I'm going to sign up for ACR too and I'm going to play and maybe I'll start streaming and then I'll get on the Twitch team and so on and so forth." So, you know, to that point, you know, Jonathan made did make some comments about, you know, a, you know, they have all these mediocre pros, and have you seen some of their streams? And I have so many more followers than they do. 
you know, it was like, and, and there were always subtle comments, you know, like when he was talking about how much money he could make as an affiliate, he said, oh, I could make $100,000 a month or whatever. <laughs> and somebody's right. like, and one of, one of the ACR team members said that you're crazy. You'll never make, not, not, you know, nobody can make that much. And he, you know, he kind of said, well, I can see you saying that, you know, with, with your modest Twitch following and your, you know, 500 followers on Twitter or whatever, but I have a very large platform. <laughs> and, and, and again, it just, it just goes, it, Again, he's not even wrong. I mean, he's wrong about the hundred thousand, but that's a whole other story. He's not wrong. He's a bigger streamer. He has more followers, etc. But the tone of it, again, like he, there's no need to take a shot at these people. I mean, some of these people are just like normal dudes, you know, moms and dads, and like, and they just like to stream for a couple hours a night and play ACR poker. They're not. They didn't get in this to get called mediocre poker players with fall, small followings, you know. <laughs> like they just well, want, I mean, they just want to have some fun and play some poker. And in your case, calling you a mediocre player is actually a compliment. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I never did understand that comment, but he did. Say, he did. He did actually say that to somebody, which was weird. Um, but yes, that is true for me. Uh, I, like I would actually be like. I prefer I prefer slightly above average as a description yeah. for me, but, <laughs> but mediocre works too. <laughs> I mean, personally, I aspire to mediocrity, so yeah. I hope I get there someday. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the thing you're right in that Jonathan is not wrong. Like the things he's saying are true, but you know, they kind of maybe part of what makes him a great player is that he kind of has an ego. You know, some yeah. of the best players in the world have a big ego. You know, yeah. like if you ask Phil Hellmuth, who's the best player, he's going to say Phil Hellmuth. You know, and I yeah. think that Jonathan is very proud of all of the hard work that he's put in. But yeah, I kind of agree with you. If I have an issue with Jonathan at all, and I'm not even sure that I do, but if I do, it's the tone. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, like even. Even all the shots at ACR and stuff wouldn't have even really bothered me personally much. I would have just been like, oh, there's lots of people who bitch about ACR. It's whatever, you know, no big deal. Yeah. But it just it seemed to get a little personal after that. And it, I was just like, meh. And, you know, some people were coming at him, too. So, you know, I get it. We all get defensive when somebody attacks us or, or we feel we're being attacked or whatever. So, you know, I get it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think... Again, he has every right to express his opinions. Phil has every right to say bye. You know, it could have just probably ended there, but um, I'm glad it didn't because, I, like I said, I love the drama. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like grab a, bo- a bucket of popcorn because the next thing you know, Jonathan is announcing that he'd been banned to the world. Uh, he goes on Twitter and he tells everybody, I've been banned and here's why. And then he opens himself up to everyone discussing the ban and whether Phil was within his rights to ban him and whether it was a good PR move for ACR to release such a well-known player and uh, it's interesting in in a way it's kind of been good for ACR the publicity I mean yeah it's definitely been all the talk and you know there were a lot of people who were like oh you know ACR is going to lose so much business over this stuff I mean now that this is going to sound like I'm taking shots, but I'm really not. This is just a mathematical reality. Jonathan and all of his students could stop playing on ACR, and it wouldn't affect ACR. <laughs> like, well, they, yeah, they, not... they they rake a lot of money. Like, they'll they'll replace those players with 
200 more tomorrow, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, well, I, if that's you, I mean, true, maybe you should be making 100000 a month. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> I mean, no, you know, no no company ever wants to lose money, but for, you know, from any customer, but um, it wouldn't be the end of the world. And I should say this, too. Like, I don't, I don't think I really made this point. I will say that if I ran ACR, I was the CEO. I don't, I don't think I would have banned him. Um, right. It doesn't mean I necessarily disagree with Phil's decision because he's the only one who really knows you know, how that felt <laughs> to be sort of talked bad about for months and months and months. Um, like, but you know, I did think of it in terms of like tournament poker edge as an example. Like, if somebody came into my forums every day for or our forums every day for you know two months and talked about how crappy the site was or the, you know, these, <laughs> right. these pros suck or these videos are terrible or, like maybe I would like I don't you know, I guess you don't know how you'll react to those situations until you get put in them um, right and then that same person took it to Twitter and yeah. and streamed about how much your site sucks <laughs> right. while while using your site. That's the interesting to me. If Jonathan had such a problem with ACR, <laughs> he was streaming on there every Sunday. So there seems to me like is he telling his students do as I say, not as I do? But <laughs> on yeah. the other hand, he wasn't really telling them don't play on there. He was right. saying you can play on here, but don't put all your money on here because you don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah. The reason why ACR is unregulated, by the way, is because the government can't get its act together as it pertains to online poker. Yeah, I always say, you know who really wants to be a regulated site in America? All the unregulated sites. Yeah. <laughs> like they would love it. <laughs> it's not their fault that they're not regulated. It's that these states can't get their act together. I mean, basically, the government said it's up to the states. So now each state has their own stupid state senate that can't figure out what to do about online poker meantime they're all bankrupt and they have this huge tax revenue that they could be getting but they just can't figure out how to regulate the game and legalize the game in their state without angering the uh you know christian right or whoever would be upset that there's right. poker <laughs> yeah. you know i mean it's hard for me to imagine that in a free country anyone's not allowed to play the game that we invented which by the way is the best game that's ever been invented by anyone in the history of mankind so yeah. it is crazy when, it's crazy if you google like countries where online poker is not legal or whatever <laughs> and it's like iran afghanistan yeah. right right pakistan and the United States. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, wait, which one of these doesn't belong? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for giving your uh, your take on the whole Jonathan Little drama because you know I wanted to hear from one of the shills. Absolutely. <laughs> so I am King Shill. Actually, the, a couple of days after I I made I was streaming and I I kept changing my stream title every hour, <laughs> and I just used. Uh, titles based off the word shill, but they're all song titles. So, you know, I like shilling in the name of. And Great. Shilling is my business and business is good and shilling Great. me softly. Yeah, I mean, your goal is to be entertaining and be funny and to have a good stream. The few times, I wish I could do it more often, but the few times I've been able to like pop in on your stream, you know, it's a good time. It's good vibes. You have good music going. You're always funny because. You know, you play and you you have a really fun-loving approach to the game. So, anyone who hasn't checked him out, by the way, just check out Killing Bird on Twitch. Uh, you still do every Tuesday your home game, and then whenever yeah. else. Yep, still every Tuesday, and then uh, 
usually Sunday nights and then like two other random days, just depending on what else is going on in life. Yeah. All right. So let's go to uh, the next hot topic before we get to the uh, hand that you wanted to bring up. And I'm assuming, by the way, that when we get to the strategy segment, the hand is going to reflect that the RNG works in your favor. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. Good. <laughs> but before we get to that, I want to talk about, you know, this very unfortunate Mike Possel outcome. Now, as we know, the case was dismissed, but then there was also a civil case that was brought, and that has also been not dismissed but settled. Now, when the terms of the settlement were uh, that the parties that were suing Stone's Gambling Hall, as it's known in Sacramento, California, which is the uh, notorious venue at which Mike Possel did his alleged <laughs> cheating. Uh, I hope you can tell by my tone that I don't think there's anything alleged about the cheating. Uh, but anyway, th those people who were suing, many of them were paid an undisclosed sum of money in exchange for which this, the case was dropped. But part of, obviously part of the terms of that settlement is that Stone's Gambling Hall doesn't need to admit any wrongdoing. And as a result, uh, a representative from there, the tournament director, Justin Karatis, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but has been really puffing his feathers, I guess, <laughs> like as far as I'm vindicated. Yeah. It's almost like he's sticking his tongue out at everybody. He's like, yeah, he's like, nah, nah, I nah, win. Nah, nah, <laughs> I won. Uh, so well, yeah, what do you make of this? Have you been following all of this drama as well? And what kind of what are your thoughts on how this all turned out? Um, yeah, I, I haven't followed it as closely as I probably should, but I've, you know, I've, I'm aware of all the, you know, sort of the stages it's gone through and, and the general outcome. Um, part of it is, so, you know, I mean, just the fact that the, the initial case got dismissed, you know, on that, on that front, I, I kind of wondered if a lot of that had to do with the fact that if you don't play poker, probably nothing on that video or any of those videos looks all that bad. You know, right, because you don't realize that this is only something that would happen. It, yeah, if you're not intimately familiar with the game, or at least somewhat familiar with the game, you might be like, "What? You can't put a guy in jail because he's looking down at his at his lap." Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, oh, I, I've seen movies; they bluff like that all the time, you know. Or, right, right, or right. Like, so I, I wasn't necessarily surprised that that was the outcome of of that initial, I guess. Is, is, is it a criminal case? I guess it's technically a criminal case, right? Um, I, yeah, I wasn't too surprised about that. But, I mean, I think anybody who plays poker, although I have seen poker player, or at least people in the poker community, some people defending him and the tournament director, whose name I also don't know how to pronounce. Yeah. So, so there are poker players out there who have watched those videos and go, ah, seems fine to me. Yeah, yeah. But I would say 95% of people in the poker community don't have to watch very much of those of that footage to go well he's cheating and it's a hundred percent obvious yeah um, i'll take the over 95 percent yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think yeah. You'd, i think you'd be right um yeah so obviously it's really it's frustrating that nothing you know really came of it i mean we will i guess we'll never really know how much money anybody got or anything like that um i, I guess maybe we can take some sort of comfort or whatever and you know if they accepted this deal, then they must have thought it was maybe not fair, but they thought it was as much as they were going to get. Um, so they just took the deal and, and signed off and said, okay, you know, Stones doesn't well, say they did anything wrong and we get a little cash and we'll move on. 
Right. Well, when the first case came down, basically the law that was cited in the ruling to dismiss it was that there is a law in California, which is a very unfortunate law, that says that uh, if there is cheating in a casino, that the casino is not liable. They they are protected. So if a player cheats, you can't sue the casino. But the reason why the case went to trial anyway was because uh, it seemed that people from the casino were involved in the cheating. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I was going to say, like, on the face of it, that law doesn't seem all that off base because, you know, you you would just think of the basis of things like, oh, you know... It, if somebody's marking cards, like the casino ne- shouldn't necessarily be, you know, just because they didn't catch it, they shouldn't be held liable for that. I can almost kind of see the reasoning for that law. I just don't think anybody ever thought, oh, wait, what if the casino's in on the cheating? <laughs> right, right. Um, which I think, you know, it's. I was actually thinking about this w- when I saw um, Justin's letter that he wrote. I was like, well, you know, is it possible that they weren't, or he wasn't in on it, or the, somebody at the casino wasn't in on it? Well, the problem is there's a missing piece, which is we don't know exactly what happened. We just know that something's wrong. When we watch these videos as poker players, we all know that something's wrong, and there's no way that this guy Mike Possel, that no one else, no one, none of us ever heard of, except for in the Stones Gambling Hall live stream, <laughs> yeah. uh, is the greatest poker player in the world, and he's you know, six million points above expectation or whatever. So uh, there must be something wrong. The problem is we don't know exactly what is amiss. We know something's amiss. Is it something in his hat? Is it something on his phone? Someone somewhere is sending him information he's not supposed to have. There is a problem that we can't exactly identify. And now here's my issue with Justin, the tournament director guy. He keeps telling people, you'll go ahead and prove me prove me wrong. You'll be the first. Right. Just because I can't prove you wrong doesn't mean you're not lying. Right. Right? Just because I don't know exactly what happened doesn't mean that nothing happened. And this is what's bugging me about this, is that now he is taking this, like, victory lap. In his mind, this vindicates them. And, and in reality, he probably had a pretty easy out. Not really an out, but he, he could have handled it in a way that wouldn't have brought much backlash on him. You know, he could have just said, look, I don't know if Mike Postle cheated or not. I can only say that I had no no part in it. Um, I'm glad that these legal proceedings have come to an end. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting out of my life. Good luck, everyone. Like it, and, and I'm sure some people still would have said, oh, you were an out. But it wouldn't have been this massive blowout where he essentially felt obligated not only to, to like you know, like we said, sort of stick his tongue out at everybody who he just beat in the courtroom, um, but you know, essentially defend Mike Possel at the same time. Like I'm not this. He does not seem like the kind of guy who's gonna go away quietly. Like when the World Series of Poker rolls around next year, I think he's gonna make it a point to walk up and down those hallways as often as he can. Oh, I hope so because he's probably a terrible poker player. <laughs> yeah, I true. Mean, if he, if you ever heard him speak, like when they would occasionally have an interview with him on those live streams, and they try to be like, Mike, how did you know to fold the second nut flush on the turn? You know? <laughs> Just had a feeling. <laughs> yeah, and the, these would be his explanations. They'd be these ridiculous, like, he clearly didn't even understand the game of poker. Yeah. Like, there's no way this guy is any good at poker. I'm sure of that. 
like I said before, I can't tell you exactly what how the cheating worked. I just know, you know, there's an expression that um, the uh, security teams in casinos use, and it's called JDLR. Just doesn't look right. Uh, yeah. So they don't know that they don't know exactly what's going on, but when they can spot cheating, it always starts with JDLR. You know, they're watching a craps table, say, and they don't know exactly how the cheating is happening, but there's something about this group of craps players that somebody is doing something wrong. And all my years of being in security at this casino, something JDLR. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to me, that's what's going on here. And just because I can't put my finger on it doesn't mean that Justin is innocent or that Mike Possel is the greatest poker player of all time. Yeah, and I'm not smart enough about technology and cell phones and computers to know if they could have, you know, scoured their, you know, cell phone providers' data to figure out. I don't know anything about all that stuff, but I assume it had something to do with the phone because it, it seemed like a pretty a common factor that, you know, the phone was facing this way or it was in his lap and he was looking down and... Um, I don't know. I never put my phone in my lap at the poker table, so who knows? Every time I've ever played on a live stream, I was instructed to turn my phone off and not to have it out. Mm, so, yeah. you know, this is like every kind of cheating can always be resolved by a dealer or a floor person enforcing the rules. Yep. It kind of sends a message that if you're clever enough and you want to cheat and you want to dupe everybody, even to do it so boldly as to do it on the live stream, there will be little or no repercussions for your actions. And I just think that's really bad for the game. Yep. It's really very, very sad. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about news and notes and gossip and such. Why don't we get into what everyone seems to enjoy the most when we do it? Let's talk about a Derek Tenbush killing bird expert shill RNG hand. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll save the expert for after the hand. To save for, if, if I'm mediocre or expert, we'll find out. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, so yeah, and I do apologize. I don't know what tournament this was. You, I feel like it usually tells me in the hand history, but it doesn't appear to be there today, so I'm not sure uh, what I what I did wrong with this hand history, but mostly I've been playing between 660 and 1650 MTTs on ACR lately, so it's probably one of those two, a very high chance uh, that's the case. So Now, by the way, guys, if you don't play on ACR and you hear Derek say it's like a $6 or a $10 or a $16 tournament, these tournaments attract really big fields. Some of them will have a $50,000 prize pool for a $16 buy-in. So yeah. yeah, they have some good guarantees. and I'm not, Well, I, can, I guess I can do my shilling while I'm here. Um, no, just kidding. Um, but I did. I did want to say, like, mainly because it's what I've been doing mostly, most lately. Because I'm so excited about it. Is ACR launched progressive knockouts, which you know a lot of the other sites have had for quite some time, um, but they just launched them like probably two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, and they have a big progressive knockout series running right now with tons of good guarantees. So, um, yeah, uh, if you want to go play on ACR, uh, just don't deposit your entire life roll on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you never know when they're just going to go out of business and yeah. leave you with no money. So um, do you think this may have been a PKO? No, I, I'm, I think this was before the PKO series okay. started. So I'm, I'm pretty sure this is just like a random, like, you know, 1650-20K or 1650-10K or something like that. Okay, so let's try to piece it together, like what stage of the tournament you're in. and Yeah, so uh, the blinds right now are 800-1600. 
which would make me think we are either just in the money or very close to it, right around there somewhere. Okay. Um, I, in fact, I would probably say we're a little bit before the money. That's what I was going to say. Best guess. Yeah. yeah, that seems a little early. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we have um, we have 179 big blinds. Jeez, that's a good stack. Yeah, so we have a really good stack. We're the second biggest stack at the table um, next to who actually ends up being the villain in this hand, who has 228 big blinds. Uh, and then we have a bunch of people just sort of sitting around like 60. Yeah, especially for this stage of a tournament to that have to have that many big blinds, you were probably in the top five percent of the field at that point, I would assume. Mm, yeah, that sounds about right. All right, so what's the action? All right, so we are um, we're in middle position uh, with pocket eights, and again the blinds are 800, 1600. Uh, so under the gun limps off of a stack mm-hmm. of 128 big blinds, also a pretty big stack. Um, and then we limp behind. When I first looked at this hand, this is not a very consequential part of the hand necessarily, but I, I actually like raising here. I think we, we're so deep that we should really just put the pressure on, raise, get it heads up with this limper, uh, and, and we'll be in position. Um, my guess is you probably agree with that because you don't seem like the limping type to me. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a huge limper, but uh, have we told people what you have? I think I said I had pocket eights, but if I didn't, okay. I have pocket eights. <laughs> okay, so you have two eights. And, you know, I actually don't mind limping here. That might surprise you because, for one thing, we are pretty deep. You know, and as you mentioned, this is a pretty deep stack table. I like to be able to call a raise. Hmm. So the problem, if I raise and if I get three bet, it puts me into some tough spots as far as just putting in too many chips with pocket eights. And now that uh, the under the gun player decided to limp in. Uh, I, I feel like limping is okay here, especially if you think he's the type to limp and go for the back raise with big hands. Yeah, yeah. kind of what that limp, what that limp in front of us means, kind of really has a strong impact on whether I want to limp behind or raise. Yeah, and I should mention I, I have the numbers on him, and this might change your mind. He's running fifty-six zero, which means he's playing fifty percent of the hands and raising none of them. Okay, <laughs> wow. So. Um, yeah, that might make, so, yeah. Might, might might make you like the raise a little bit more. But yeah, I definitely want to raise to try to isolate because he's obviously a uh, a novice. Yeah. I've been trying not to say a bad player or a good player, so I'm trying to find more creative ways to describe, <laughs> you know, someone who's like newer at the game yeah. and still kind of learning a good of the, strategy and stuff. Yeah, well, a lot of the Twitch streamers call them fun players. Fun player, yeah. So he's a. <laughs> He seems like he's having a lot of fun playing half the pots without raising any. Yeah. <laughs> he's having a great time. <laughs> so, yeah, that does make me want to raise, but not just because of the strength of my hand, but also because I'd love to play in position heads up against this player that I can presumably have a substantial skill edge over. Mm-hmm. So that does argue for a raise. But still, being this deep uh, and having so many players still yet to act behind me, I don't hate limping here at all, so yeah. I'm fine with it. Yep, I definitely don't hate it either. I have a slight lean towards raising, but it is what it is. Um, so yeah, so we like I said, we go ahead and limp for 1600. Then the cutoff also limps for 1600. And then the small blind, who I mentioned earlier as the big stack at the table, um, raises to 8,000. Okay, that's a pretty big bet, but I guess there's already been three limps, so it's not that big. Yeah, and he's on the button. Um, he's also running pretty aggressive. Num- like, 
aggressive but good. Like, that's how I would describe his number. He's 27-13-22, so he's playing, you know, a reasonable number of hands, but he's playing them aggressively. And, and he, like I said, he is on the button, so I think he could also realize that the original limper was weak, and he's, you know, trying to ISO in some ways as well. Um, but he also might just have a big hand. Kind of hard to say. At this point, because you and he both have so many chips... It doesn't really much matter to me whether he has a big hand or not. Right. Because uh, I have a good hand to beat a big hand with. If we happen to flop a set uh, you know, with our eights here, we want him to have a big hand. And that's kind of. Yeah, these, yeah. These, these are generally the spots where I go, man, I hope he has a big hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you're not going to put a ton of chips in. If it comes like king, queen, jack, you're not going to put any more chips in this pot anyway. Right. Whether he has a big hand or not, he's going to win this one. But, you know, we're looking for that flop with an eight in it, and then we hope that he has a big hand like aces or kings. Yeah, so, like I said, he makes it 8,000. The um, original limper... Nope, sorry, I take that back. The big blind, <laughs> who is not in the hand yet, other than his blind calls the 8,000, and then the uh, original fun player limper folds. Oh, so it's on us. Yep, so now it's on us. Okay, yeah, there's nothing else to do here but call. You know, we have so many chips, and we, we just, we're, we have the implied odds here, and we're pretty much playing for set value. I mean, there are some flops, like if it comes 7-7 seven, seven deuce or whatever, uh, we're not going to check fold with pocket eights yet, right. but we're mostly playing for our set value here. Yeah, agreed. Um, so yeah, so we call, and then also the cutoff calls. So we're going four ways to the flop. Wow, big pot. Yeah, and so there's now 36,200 chips in the middle, and the flop comes 8, king, 5, rainbow. So we okay. flop middle set. Well, that's great news. What's our SPR here? We have uh, SPR here is 7.5, which is actually bad news because it's going to be hard to get seven times the pot in by the river with our three of a kind here. Uh, usually when I flop a set, I'm hoping to be able to get it all in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it seems unlikely now, unless we're actually beat by three kings. Again, it's a king eight five flop. So obviously our goal should just be to get as many chips in as we possibly can. Um, so the b big lines first act, he checks. Um, I actually, four ways, I kind of don't hate leading here. I did not choose to do that in this hand, but what do you what do you think about leading here since we are four ways? I mean, it's kind of one of those spots where it's like somebody has to have a piece of this, right? So it's king, eight, five, rainbow? Yeah. Yeah, the problem is it's hard for anyone to have a piece of it unless the original razor has aces or ace, king. Or the yeah you know, the dreaded king king which I mean we're just gonna lose a lot of chips if that's the case yeah. right um, yeah I would like to I would lead a lot more often on a board that has more draws available like if there's a flush draw available like if the eight and the five are the same suit then you could have like straight draws and flush draws and that way your lead can look like those hands because I would lead some of the times with three opponents when I flop a flush draw. Especially if I had like some backdoors to go with, like say, say it's a, a a flush draw in clubs, and I have like ace seven of clubs, so I have not only a flush draw but also a backdoor straight draw. Like those are good hands to like kind of lead and set the price, 
and because you can call a raise, mm-hmm. so it's good to have some of those donk leads in your range when you have those kind of hands. With this particular flop, it's such a dry board, wouldn't lead too often on in this particular case for that reason. Yeah, you make a good point too, because I'm thinking more about what he has, but we also have to think about what they think about what we have. Like, what, what do they think we're leading with on this dry of a board? If it was like king six seven two clubs or something, then they could be like, oh, they have a flush draw or they have eight nine or. This is a really weird board for us to lead anything other than a made hand. Yeah, and if you if you just have a king, I don't know that you would ever lead right. with just a king. Very few of us do. We typically check that um, for fear that we're out kicked or that he has aces. It just feels like what is he leading with, and it's so it shows a lot of strength when you lead into three opponents. So I like to do that when I have flop a set on boards that are pretty wet, mm-hmm. but because you flopped a set on a pretty dry board, I would just check it. Okay. I knew that. That's why I checked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, surprisingly, it checks all the way around behind us. Um, so, okay, yeah. so what do we make of that? What do, what do you think when it checks all the way through? That original Razor probably doesn't have pocket aces or ace-king, right? He's... He's going to have, like, queens a lot, right? Yeah, I think a lot of things between nines and queens, you know, nines, tens, jacks, queens. Um, I don't think it's a lot of smaller pairs, because I I just don't think he isos that many people with, say, fours or something, you know? Um, I guess the one exception to that is he could have pocket kings. I might check check back in his spot with pocket kings here. Um, yeah, but honestly, I don't think that I would. I, I understand that you, you might, and it's not a terrible play to do that, but because I'm going to be doing so much C-betting on this board in his shoes, even with three opponents, it's such a dry board. If I had like an ace-queen type of hand on this flop, I would probably bet small and try to take it down because if nobody has a king, they probably really can't continue. Even for a small bet, I mean, are you going to call with three opponents when you have like a five right. on king yeah. eight five? You know, it's just most people would just cut their losses at that point. So for that reason, I would probably I don't often continue a continuation bet into three opponents, but on this particular board, I would. And therefore, when I do have the monster top set, I would also bet it and bet pretty small to try to get action from. A hand like eight seven or ace five, you know, kind of those hands that really can't handle too much pressure, but, but that I need to try to build some kind of pot. I wouldn't be shocked if you told me he had three kings and he checked behind, but that's really just one possible hand that sure. we're not going to worry about that one. You know, if he's got that, we're about to lose a lot of chips. That's, yeah, that's a... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so checks all around on the flop, and then we get the four of diamonds on the turn. So pretty safe card. Board now reads eight king five four. There are two diamonds out there now. And the um, six seven got there. The six seven did get there, which um, I don't know if we know enough about these, mainly because of the way the hand played out. I don't know if we know a lot about the other two players in the hands ranges, but I don't necessarily think the button's going to have that very often. I don't, I don't know if six sevens a hand that he makes that big of an ISO raise with. I yeah, think. I mean, nobody should. Nobody should have six seven. Even the big blind shouldn't have six seven, and you certainly shouldn't have called a big raise with six seven. Yeah. But 
you know, it is a, a low stakes tournament on ACR, so you really can't rule it out, to be honest. No, for sure. Yeah, you you have to be afraid of every monster under the bed in these tournaments. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, the uh, the big blind checks, and it's on us now. And at this point, I was tired of chips not going into this pot. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I go ahead and bet seventeen point three k. That's fine. It's half the pot, and you know, to be clear, we have the third nuts here. So, so I definitely am on board with uh, betting this hand and and trying to build a pot. Yeah. So we bet, and the button raises to forty-two thousand six hundred. Uh, the other player in the hand folds. So now we are heads up with a decision. Okay. There are two hands that can beat me. This raise shows a lot of strength. So I'm a chip leader. He's a chip leader. He's not... He's unlikely to be screwing around here. Right? Mm -hmm. He could have a set of fours. Although that would be a little strange for him to raise it to 8,000 pre-flop with fours, but you do see it. He could have fives. He could be trying to isolate the uh, original limper that we all can pretty much identify as a uh, fun player. Mm -hmm. Right? So... We do have two monsters under our bed to worry about. And we do have a big stack kind of towards the bubble of a tournament. But still, just this hand is too strong. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to keep raising. Yeah, and this, I think this is where I make, I think, the biggest mistake in the hand. Um, I don't I don't fold, obviously. Spoiler alert. Um, but, I don't, <laughs> but I don't raise. I just call. And I don't think I like this mainly because of what we talked about in the beginning of the hand. It's really hard to get this many chips in the middle, but I think we want to. Um, and just calling here is going to make that pretty hard to do. We, we, we still have two to one, you know, a, a two to one stacked pot ratio on the river after we call. Yeah, so that's going to be hard to get in. So under that, under that scenario, let's try to make the case for calling. Like the case for calling is, we might we aren't a hundred percent sure that our hand is good, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Like it, it, pocket kings are a possibility, as is seven six. You don't see it that often. Like why wouldn't you just limp behind with that hand? You know why wouldn't you? Right. But the fact that a raise has been made here does indicate strength. My question is just how often is that strength going to be stronger than three eights? Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot more things that he could think are good here. Yeah. Like he could have aces. He yeah. Could have, he could have ace king. He could have a set of fives, a set of fours, um, amongst other things. Or, or he, like you said, he could just have two diamonds. You know, maybe it's maybe it's like a combo draw. Maybe he has king queen of diamonds or something like that. Um, so yeah, I th- I think I'm just happy to get it in here. And I feel like this is something I, I think about a lot when we do these hands. Not just because I think we have the best hand and I want to get it in, um, but because also the hands that can ruin it on the river <laughs> that are going yeah. to slow him down, you know? Um, so I, yeah. I, would ju- I would just rather get it in now while he apparently feels like he has a great hand um, than take... Especially because we're out, we're out of position, so especially in that case, because... You know, what are we going to do on the river? What if it comes a, you know, seven of diamonds? Like, are we going to just check call? Or are we going to shove and hope that he wasn't bluffing? 
Um, and maybe he even folds like a set of fives now because there's a straight and a flush on the board. Um, so yeah, I, I would rather just get it in here. Yeah. Okay. So we think we should keep raising, and we're kind of having trouble coming up with justifications for calling. Uh, I think the whole case for calling is well, there's it's twofold, right? Number one, we might actually be beat, and if we if we keep raising, we actually jeopardize a top five percent stack towards the bubble of a tournament. So that's not nothing, right? Yeah. There is value in tournaments and just surviving. In a cash game, I think there's no justification for calling. You know, if you if you get cooled out like this in a cash game, that's just your l- unlucky day. Go ahead and buy in again, and you know, stop crying. You know, right. but because exactly. the tournament, because the tournament, we have to we have to survive. So there is a little bit more of a case to be made there for that. And also, the other case to be made is that uh, if our opponent is on a bluff, raising again might just make him fold. Right. When we don't really want him to fold, when we have the third nuts, right? So that's another minor point to be made why calling is okay. But I think in balance, it's a pretty clear re-raise to me. Although you will have a problem if he if he see, if he keeps raising, then it's like well. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I don't know, I don't know I don't know if I'm good enough here to make it like 105 and then fold. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. So your raise is pretty much going to be, I mean, pretty close to committing you to the pot, and so you have to just be willing to chalk it up to a, a very unlucky day if you. If you happen to lose this pot with the third nuts here on the turn, yeah. So, uh, I, I'd be willing to do that, but I know a lot of players wouldn't. And uh, there is a, a theory of tournament strategy that suggests you should never really jeopardize your whole stack, especially this big of a stack, without the absolute mortal nuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't subscribe to that theory, but I, I understand those who do. Sure. Yeah. So, like I said, we do just call. Um, so now there's 121.4k in the middle, uh, and we see a river of the six of diamonds. Oh, that is like the worst. <laughs> that's about the worst river I can think of, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so our final to... board is king eight five four six with three diamonds. So now we're losing to any two diamonds and any seven. Yeah. So, I mean it. it I, I assume I don't remember the, this, although I do remember what I was thinking about on, after at the end of this hand. Um, I decided to check just because it's such a terrible river or terrible card for us, um, which I think is probably okay. Although like you could maybe make some arguments for block like a blocker bet type. Yeah, it's just here. weird though because you didn't put in the last raise on the turn, so for you to lead out now here on the river. Yeah. I mean, I guess it it would work a lot because it, your opponent has to fear the flush or the straight, assuming he doesn't have one. So a blocker bet on the river, yeah, there's 120 in the pot. If you put out like 38,000, I, I don't know. I don't know that too many players can raise that without having at least a straight. Yeah. So because it just feels like that's what you have it's so also, much. Yeah, it might also look pretty weak too. Like so, we he might just shove over us without a better hand. And just say, well, that's a blocker bet. <laughs> Here's all the chips, you know. And then I got a fold. Um, well, I don't know, Derek. I mean, you're talking about a at the most a sixteen dollar tournament. That's a fair point. On ACR, and in my experience of playing these tournaments, 
there aren't that many players that will be able to release any fear they might have that you have a seven or a flush. Mm-hmm. They're just going to fear that too much to really raise it and put it all in. You know, this guy's probably the chip leader in this tournament. If not, he's really close. Yep. We have a ton of chips, and he's got us covered. So I don't think that too many of your opponents in these types of tournaments are going to bluff us off of our eights when they don't have it beat. I, I, I just don't see that too yeah, often. Maybe it right. happens. No, I think you're probably right in general. Yeah, it, it, that's a that's a very high-level play that you would risk your whole stack and just pray that Derek doesn't actually have the flush or the straight that he's repping. You know, that's yeah. that's a that's a lot of risk. I'm not even sure that's correct. <laughs> it probably isn't. You know, it seems like it's it seems a little bit kamikaze to me. You come out of nowhere and bet this. I mean, what have you done on the flop? You checked, and everybody checked, and on the turn you bet and called a raise, and then you checked the river. Right, so yeah. okay, so instead of checking the river, say you bet the river, he's just going to be like, oh, he doesn't have anything. I'm all in or something. Right, it, you're, just, you're not going to see that. <laughs> not yeah, in a yeah. not in an ACR sixteen dollar tournament. I don't think so. Yeah, no way. Good point. Um, so just a reminder because it's it's somewhat important. Um, the pot is one hundred twenty one point four k. We have two hundred thirty five thousand back in our stack. Okay. He has three hundred fifteen thousand. Um, we check. And he jams. <laughs> okay. So, so he's <laughs> he basically, you know, effectively t- double the pot. Okay. Um, that is so ugly. I mean, this river card was ugly. Yeah. But now this river action is even uglier <laughs> than the card itself. I yeah. mean, this is brutal. I hate to fold big hands in low stakes tournaments, but if there was ever time to do one, it's when you already had a top five percent stack approaching the bubble, and Somebody just bet 2x pot on a scare card on the end. I, I, this is just, I hate the spot. Talk, talk me, talk me through your uh, your thought process and trying to decide what to do about this. Yeah. So here's what's one of the good things about streaming on Twitch is that sometimes I remember what I'm saying to my viewers in these spots. Oh, cool. And I and I remember specifically talking through. I don't I don't even know if I talked about this hand up until this point, but when this happened, I started talking. And it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before when we were talking about hands that we put in this guy's range. So obviously the, the most obvious thing to be afraid of here is the straight and the flush. But I started thinking about the straight. What sevens does he have that he's ISOing over three limpers with? And we did say that, you know, some people will do this with six, seven. But I don't think many do it with sevens. And I don't think right. he. And I also don't think he raises the turn with the sevens. So it's so it's like six seven or seven eight. How about eight? How about ace seven suited? You will see the raise, especially on the button. People like to raise their suited aces mm-hmm. sometimes over limpers. So that's a reasonable hand, and especially with the turn raise, if he has ace seven. And what's the suit? Is it clubs? Diamonds. Diamonds, yeah. So if he has a seven of diamonds specifically, that's only one combo, right? Yeah. But if he has that hand, it's like that's such a sweet turn card for him because it gives him so many outs. Yeah, that's a good point. I, and that is one hand I didn't really think of. I, the other one that seemed very possible 
to be at first was Ace King of Diamonds. But then I was like, why would he ever check that back on the flop? Four ways. Yeah. So then I was like, well, shoot, if he doesn't have Ace King, and he doesn't have very many sevens, then what is this? <laughs> like I can't figure out what this is. <laughs> and and then and also on this board, I'm like, well, sets don't make a lot of sense either, because is is he at a, not afraid that I don't have a seven or two diamonds? Although maybe me checking looks weak, and he just thinks my set's good. I'm gonna shove. So I had a I had a really hard time here because there's so many things that beat us, but none of them make a ton of sense to me. Uh, you said it perfectly. There are several hands that beat us, and none of them make any sense as played. As the villain plays the hand, nothing makes any sense. The only hand that kind of makes sense is 7-6, but even 7-6 shouldn't overbet the river because it has to fear the flush. Mm-hmm. And if you have 7-6, you don't have a flush because the 6 of diamond just hit the river. Yeah, and I mean, and this is a bet where you're only really getting called when you're beat. So, he's, I don't yeah. think he shoves a straight here. No, I don't think so either. I mean, he's representing a flush. Yeah. Or a straight flush. Like, does he ever check back Ace-King of Diamonds? Because if, if we think he does, then Ace-King of Diamonds makes a ton of sense. But I just don't know if... He, I, I never check back Ace-King of Diamonds in a spot like that. Against no, but you would... Qu- you would check back Ace Queen of Diamonds. That I would, but what I but what I raise that on the turn, which is you might side. because you yeah you, know, you just you pick up a flush draw, and you're just trying to take it down. Yeah, right? fair point. I mean, it's not it's I I don't recommend it. I don't think it's a good play, but you know, we do have to have some semi bluffs in our raising range on the turn, mm-hmm. and so you know having like a flush draw. With an overcard, you know, he doesn't know. Ace Queen, his ace could be live there. That's you true. Can have, you know, so I don't hate it if he if he did that with Ace Queen of Diamonds, but there again, that's only one, one combo. I think they're just there are a lot of hands that we can beat that raise the turn, but the the key information is that the scare card hits the river and a huge bet has been made. Yeah. Generally speaking, a huge bet is going to be a huge hand the great majority of the time, the vast majority of the time. The problem for us is we have a pretty big hand ourselves. Right. <laughs> and he uh, does, and, and he doesn't really need to do this to if if he is interested in bluffing, he doesn't really need to do this. He could bet 80k and we're probably still yeah. folding the same hands. Yeah, I mean, you're going to fold if you don't have a king or better. You're going to fold. Yeah. His problem is when you call the turn raise, you could so easily have a flush draw. Right. But then when you check the river, he might just say, well, Derek is never checking the river with a flush. And because he never has a flush, I can always win this pot by a two times the pot over bet, putting him all in. He doesn't want to lose this whole tournament right here. So I guess, let me ask you this. Do we know anything about this opponent? Just his numbers, which he was the guy I was describing as, like, aggressively good. Right, you know, right. right like, yeah. Like, most of the hands he 
or most of the pots he enters, he's raising. So he's he's a good aggressive. I don't know if I can call him a regular because I don't know enough about him, but I would guess he's a good player. He's on the loose side with 27 VPIP, right? That's that's pretty loose. Yeah, it's not, it's not ridiculous, but it's it's on the higher side yeah. of you know starting hands. Ah, this is a pretty tough decision. I mean, all things considered. I mean, I feel like it's a fold, but the problem I'm having is I can't put him on anything. Right. <laughs> that was my I want to fold. I want to fold, but I can't put him on a hand that I mean, even pocket kings shouldn't play this way. Yeah, even that's like doesn't make any sense now. Pocket kings has to fear that we could somehow have a 7. Your play is consistent with 8-7. Yep. You could have a 7 in your range. Yeah, in fact, I'm more, I mean, I'm more likely to have those kind of hands because I already had two people call in front of me the big race, so I was getting great odds to see a flop with something like 6-7 or 7-8 suited. Right, that's true, and also you bet called the turn. Yep. So, now his turn raise, by the way, is very small. Yes. It's just over two times your bet. So it, there aren't many hands that you should be folding That unless you're just a pure bluff here on the turn. Yeah. You know, you're you're priced into call with a lot of hands. And uh, certainly any two diamonds. Yep. So why isn't he scared that you have two diamonds? Is it because he has two diamonds or is it because you checked? Yeah, I kind of lean towards the idea of him having two diamonds. I just wish I could figure out what damn two diamonds they are. Yeah, I mean, his, um, his play in this hand is is very confusing. And you know what? Honestly, if this was the guy we were talking about earlier who who played 50% of the hands and limped them all, I could put that guy on ace-king of diamonds. He seems like the kind of person who might check back ace-king because he's like, oh, there's three other people in the hand. They could have flopped sets. They could have two pair. I'm just going to check. Yeah, for sure. But this, this guy with his numbers does not seem like the type who checks back ace-king there. Right. Agreed. 100% agreed. So... You know, given the numbers you have on this opponent and the player profile and the fact that I can't make any sense of what's going on here, I mean, it's so hard. I want to call, okay? <laughs> yeah. And the reason and the reason I want to call is because I really just, I nothing makes sense. And when nothing makes sense, your opponent is usually bluffing. That's a fact. Yeah. But the reason why I'm having trouble pulling the trigger here, even theoretically, is because why would he do this against the guy who's second in chips at a table where he's got a commanding lead unless yeah. he actually has it? Yeah, that's a good point. And and, 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 and and we you know we still have 235k. I mean we have a good stack. We have well over 100 big blinds. Like we yeah. you know w- w- this isn't going to win or lose the tur- tournament for us if we fold, but it certainly is if we call him a wrong. <laughs> Uh, well, it's also going to win you the tournament if you call yeah, and you're right. That's a good if point. You, if you call and win this pot, you are going to be the commanding. I promise you, you will have a huge chip lead yeah, approaching absolutely. the bubble in this tournament, and that is a great position to be in. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm sure that some of our listeners are going to, like, scream at their uh, whatever device they're using to listen to this <laughs> on. But I, I'm going to call this because it doesn't make sense. And when when I can't figure out what the hell's going on, I just 
I just close my eyes and press call. <laughs> yeah. So I I wish I could say that I had the balls to call, but I and, and in hindsight, after looking at this hand today when I was getting ready for the podcast, I really wish I had. Like I would be so proud of myself, even if I was wrong, honestly. Um, but in the moment, I just decided, you know, and I think what I really thought was, okay, it's something like Ace King of Diamonds or King Queen of Diamonds. Yeah. And then at the time, that was made a lot of sense to me. Or that hand made a lot of sense to me, but after I looked at it back, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. He can't no, have that... King of Diamonds. So yeah, if I had, it's the classic, you know, if I could have done a 30 minute analysis of this hand at the table in the time right. that it was happening, right. I think I would have called. But okay, so we'll never know. We right? We'll never yeah. know. Okay, so all right, let's talk about Ace King of Diamonds or King Queen of Diamonds. Same difference, right? They have a flush on the river. Yeah. So. It's theoretically possible that this guy could have gotten tricky, right, with yeah. a with a hand like King Queen of Diamonds and not bet it on the flop. That's fine. Like occasionally, even a, a a typically aggressive player will check back top pair on the flop. It's 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 hard for me to believe he did that. But even if he did that, he's not going to raise the four of diamonds on the turn. When the straight got there, and he's got four opponents. He's got three opponents. Yeah. He's just not. That part, I can't believe. Well, actually, at the time when he raised, he only had three opponents because the player between you and him does fold. <laughs> That's true. Right. So, okay, but even still, it's just you, ha- you have a lot of 7-6 in your range. And so he can't raise you on the turn. He just right. can't. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really odd. And I, hey, Fildy, if you're out there <laughs> listening to this podcast, that's the name of the villain. Um, go ahead and tweet at us and let us know what you had in this hand. <laughs> yeah, I want to track this guy down and find out what the heck he had. I'm gonna wonder. I mean, I guess you know, on another level though, we should just consider the hand theoretically, and it really doesn't matter what he has. Is this a call or is this a fold? Right. I mean, I do think it's a call, but I think it's pretty close. I don't think that you should beat yourself up for not calling a 2x pot bet on a scare card on the turn when all the guy needs is any 7 in his hand to beat you. Yeah. He could have king 7. Why can't he have king 7? You know? I've seen, was, I've seen weirder things at the table. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's possible. Yeah. It's possible that your uh, fear <laughs> saved you a lot of chips here. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that in the moment, my thinking and maybe I call too many bluffs but uh or may, maybe call too many times hoping it's a bluff but in this situation as we talk through it I I have so much trouble coming up with a 7 that he should have and I I really I'm really struggling to come up with a flush that he should have and I don't think he would play three kings this way cuz that really is the ultimate scare card yeah why would you turn three kings into a bluff yeah yeah, it doesn't right? make any sense. If you want to bet it because Derek checked, go ahead. Make a little value bet and try to get some value for you three kings. What are you trying to bluff me off of with three kings? You're over betting the pot. Maybe put you on three. And he gets, he's got three kings. He's trying to get us to call with three eights. <laughs> yeah. I really doubt it. Not in this tournament. No, no. sir. Yeah. I definitely agree. It's interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, All I, right. You so know, F-I-L-T. 
Ty, Fildy, yeah. where are you? Who are you? And what the hell did you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to know. We need so, to know. Yeah, so I thought that was an interesting hand. I, I, I specifically remember saying on the podcast, I'm tagging this one for Clayton. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's so cool. That's good. I'm glad that you think of me sometimes while you're streaming. <laughs> here, and there, here and there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need we need hands for the podcast, so it's always good. And you always bring the goods. You deliver every time. We our schedules the the planets align and our schedules match up where we can actually do this together. You always come with a hand that we can uh, really sink our teeth into, and this was no exception. I'm sorry that we don't have like a definitive outcome for everybody to know exactly what. Our opponent held, but you know, it, it, you have to look at hands theoretically, right? Like, what is this a call or is this a fold? Uh, let us know what you guys think. You know, like, get yeah. get busy on Twitter. Stop looking at what Jonathan Little's saying and tell us what you think of this hand. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's going on at TPE before we go? Uh, I'm actually really excited. I'm, uh, in fact, I might dig into this uh, as my pre bedtime. Uh, viewing tonight, a uh, new th- series from Andrew Brokos just launched, uh, Modern Hand Reading with Andrew Brokos, um, which for anybody who has watched any of Andrew's videos, you know he is one of the best poker teachers uh, around, uh, and certainly one of the best on TPE, so I'm really excited to dig into that series, and for the f- people out there who, um, like me, uh, are primarily ACR players, um, Jay Smith has a new series out. Um, he used to be a streamer as well. So a lot of people are familiar with him. This is his second series on TP. He won the Sunday special uh, on America's Card Room, and his hand review of that uh, is up on the site now. So, so that's Jay Smith. Jay Smith, uh, Jay Smith 84. Yep. Uh, and so he is uh, a big player on uh, ACR. He's also been a guest here on the podcast uh, maybe two months ago, I think that's we had right. him on. Yeah. He was terrific, Jared Smith. Um, so he's one of your newest, uh, one of the newest coaches on, on TPE. And I mean, I could just tell from our brief conversation when he was a guest, wow, this guy really knows poker. And he's even got like a runner-up finish in a bracelet event at the World Series of Poker. Yeah. So uh, that yes. guy is no joke, and it's a great addition to the uh, already impressive roster of coaches and trainers that we have. Um, but to me, uh, everybody knows this. No offense to any of the other coaches, but everybody knows that I am the biggest Andrew Brokers fanboy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, every time he puts something out, I just devour it. And I don't watch his videos once. I watch them repeatedly because it, uh, some of the things that he's saying don't really sink in, at least for me, the first time through. So it's really helpful to go back again and see if I remember what he said before so that maybe when I'm in that exact situation in a poker tournament I can have those thoughts in my head that's how you know if something is really sunk in if you know what Andrew's going to say before he says it then you've learned the concept yeah exactly yeah he's the best yeah so, yeah I'm looking forward to dig into that one yeah me too so that's good uh, while I'm still basically quarantined although things are improving here in New York there's still plenty of uh, time to be spent at home uh, watching videos on TPE so anything else before we say goodbye nope I think that's it it was great chatting with you my friend it's always such a pleasure I I wish we could do this together every week but I know that you are busy and you have a lot of other obligations so 
I think I can speak for all the listeners when I say uh, appreciate you uh, making the time for us, especially as an ACR shill to give us your side of the story. <laughs> Happy to do it. <laughs> so he's on Twitter at KillingBird and uh, the same on Twitch TV, KillingBird. Check out the stream every Tuesday night for the KillingBird live home game, as they call it. He is an ACR stormer and, dare I say, proud of it. That's right. Represent. (laughs) So for Derek Tenbush and everyone else here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening.